Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of What's the Crack. Today I'm joined with Cesar Leos Toro, a PhD student from University of Waterloo. And today we're going to be discussing cannabis legalization in Canada and Cesar's PhD topic. So to start, Cesar, could you give us a two-sentence bio of who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Cesar Leos Toro and I'm a PhD student here at the University of Waterloo and have been for a few years now. A lot of my work uh, in my doctoral, my doctoral work mostly looks at uh, specific cannabis policy regulations um, as they will or may be implemented in the coming year. Awesome. So to set the scene for today's episode, I will give a brief introduction about the cannabis situation. So if you're listening and you don't already know, Canada is going to be the first high-income country to legalize the recreational use of cannabis and will be doing so in July 2018. Recently, there's been movement to more progressive regulations surrounding cannabis in a few countries and some U.S. states, namely in 2012, Uruguay, and then Washington State and Colorado in the U.S. were the first country and first states to fully legalize recreational cannabis. And since then, in the states, California, Alaska, Maine, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Oregon have followed suit, with more putting in uh, ballots or whatever U.S. words there are, sorry to our U.S. followers, um, (laughs) in order to uh, regulate Uh, recreational cannabis. But since the announcement of implementation, the Canadian federal and provincial governments have been working out their policies and plans of how the cannabis market is going to be played out. So on a federal level, the legal age to purchase cannabis will be 18. Over 18s will be able to purchase and possess up to 30 grams of legal cannabis, share up to 30 grams with other adults, and grow up to four cannabis plants. With this basic framework, the rest of the decisions are left up to the provinces. So, for example, Ontario, with other provinces, have raised the age limit to 19 to align with alcohol and tobacco rules. Some provinces have chosen to have a government-run system, whereas other provinces will create a private market. So these are all examples of how provinces have changed um, their different system to work with uh, their province and how it works best. Um, So to start us off, Caesar, um, could you explain to our audience why cannabis is to be legalized and what are the reasons behind it? Uh, so there's, I think, a lot of historical precedent um, as to why cannabis is becoming, uh, the, the non-medical use of cannabis is only now becoming uh, legalized. Uh, when it was first illegalized in the 1930s, uh, about half the people that were sitting in that room didn't know what the actual uh, product was. And over the years, there's been a series of commissions uh, that have tried to investigate uh, the harms and consequences associated with cannabis use. Um, and they constantly sort of uh, put forward that more research is needed. Uh, 
we saw a spike in youth use in uh, around 2008. Um, and today we see uh, youth using uh, at about 20%. So one in five kids are using cannabis. Uh, I think uh, more recent sort of common sense to the policy um, like the idea here is uh, not to criminalize individuals unnecessarily, given that it's a substance that uh, a, a great proportion of the population uh, seems to be using or reports using. And these are, I think, underestimates that we currently see in population surveys. Aside from that, uh, I think it just is seen as a big hypocrisy to keep a substance that uh, a lot of people don't seem to uh, have problems with uh, to keep something like that illegalized yeah yeah and I guess in um in Canada especially you've had a medical market for so long anyway so I guess it's been around the population longer than say for example bringing it from my UK experience we've never had a medical market so yeah. it's always been prohibited for us so it's kind of I don't know is a bit different I guess because it's always been with you since 2001 is it uh, yeah, so in 2000 was like a landmark decision that started to uh, sort of uh, allow more permissive policies around the substance. And since then, uh, those policies have been evolving uh, over the years. So at first, like it was only available uh, for medical purposes and only in its dried form. But that created sort of a public health concern about like what uh, health authorities were saying, um, because it seemed to be fine to... Uh, allow patients to smoke the substance instead of use a regulated substance in a safe way, even though I think to date, and I may be wrong, but Health Canada still doesn't condone it as a, a, a medical therapy. Right. Yeah, but that's definitely one other reason as well. Hmm. What does your PhD project actually look at then? So as Canada announced that it was ready to legalize the non-medical use of cannabis, it provides us with a really unique opportunity to, to um, sort of test out some... It, it, we're basically going to become like a laboratory for the rest of the world as to how uh, these kinds of regulations and policies associated with it uh, roll out on, onto uh, the entire country. Um, right now, uh, one of the biggest critiques that is, I think, totally justified is that the current body of work around cannabis and its effect, et cetera, et cetera, is still a giant question mark because we actually don't really have much data about the substances that are currently at the street level in the illicit market. So the kinds of pesticides and the other harms that are associated with it that aren't directly related to the substance itself, but just the way that it's currently being utilized because of the limited ways that people can access it. So... Uh, my work in particular is looking at different issues around uh, it, the retail activities that will happen, including uh, product packaging, labeling, branding elements um, that ultimately affect the way that consumers perceive a product, both in terms of its, its appeal, who it's targeted for, who is more likely to use it, um, and how they'll use it. Uh, so... A lot of this work comes from the field of tobacco, where there's already a very robust evidence base on, on issues like the way a product is presented, the size, the shape, the color. With tobacco, the uh, sort of engaged consumer in that market is uh, uh, the young woman 
So you'll see a lot of tobacco products using slim packages. They look pretty. There's like a cool factor to it that that will enter the cannabis market if it goes unregulated. So we're trying to inform the relevant regulators right now with some of the, the work that we're producing. Uh, so a lot of my work is trying to uh, translate a lot of the evidence that exists for tobacco into uh, the world of cannabis, which should be a smooth transition, hopefully. Yeah, I reckon it should be. And it, uh, you said that one of the markets was um, women with slim packets and, you know, looking cool. I think Vogue, I remember one of them being um, yeah. uh, aimed at women. But I think another, I guess, aim of the government is to reduce youth use. And youth are also a not maybe an unintended uh, target of tobacco uh, marketing. But is that something else that you're aiming to reduce as well for the the young eyes looking at the bright colors and thinking that it's a cool product to buy. yeah so actually like the, my entire dissertation work was aimed at youth mm-hmm. aged uh 16 to 30 we still consider them young people yes. i know as someone who just turned 30 <laughs> just passed that line uh but that is a very important uh population for the canadian government and um, it's an important one, although a, a unique feature of uh, Canada's approach is uh, both to minimize the harms and maximize the potential benefits, which is a very different sort of idea than uh, than the U.S. has, where it's just seen as uh, uh, a substance that has no value at all in society, which is why it is maintained in, um, in the schedule that it continues mm. to be. So will, um, will it change schedule in in Canada as it gets legalized? As in, does that mean that, this may be a question that we don't know yet, or you don't know, but no. um, obviously when it, with it when it's scheduled, you can't do uh, research <coughs> on the substance, or it's harder because you've got to apply for um, licensing from the government, if that's the right uh, yeah. language. But will that change once it's legalized? I, I, think, it, I think it will. I don't mm. know the details on that, but it'll mm. be... Uh, much more open to to research activities but even then there's still so many questions as to like okay but which strains are going to be the ones that are available is it going to be everything how will those be chosen uh, what do we know about like the current strains on the market and their effects uh, I understand a lot of the criticism uh, against Canada's current position just based on the lack of evidence that we currently have um, and I also understand the balance of trying to um, deter the kinds of social harms that are associated with an illegalized or prohibited uh, product, especially among a population of, of young people that are uh, disproportionately affected by a lot of these regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And with the advertising that you're looking at, or the packaging, would you call your pa- the packaging advertising? I, I mean, it's one and the same, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, have you been looking at US advertising to draw upon as, like, yeah, as I think it's things a, not to do? It's a shame that this is a podcast and not sort of a televised, more visual um, uh, <laughs> medium. Uh, because... It, Yes, you'll see. I mean, but it's what you would think of, you know, like when you think of someone smoking in the movies, in the media, in general, everyone, it's like the Marlboro Man, it's it's Camel, it's mm-hmm. 
breakfast at Tiffany's, Audrey Hepburn smoking that very slim, long cigarette looking uh, very sexy and cool. Mm -hmm. Um, For cannabis, I think uh, the advertising right now, uh, as it stands in the States, is incredible. You can go look at Snoop Dogg's lines of product and there are these gorgeous, beautiful products. Recently, uh, there was a big opinion piece on the is it the Ottawa Examiner looking at the different associated industries that are going to have a boom out of this. They're now selling three hundred dollar leather satchels for like your stash. Um, they're uh. selling beautiful vaporizers and pipes that all sort of when you combine all the elements uh, create this image of this beautiful lifestyle of of maybe like an artist or someone who thinks a little differently from mainstream, Mm -hmm. even though mainstream society has become increasingly accepting of the substance. It's still seen Mm -hmm. as maybe not uh, deviant behavior in the sense that it's only for criminals or people who are generally marginalized, but for, for the creative class that Mm -hmm. seems to be emerging with, um, especially like millennials who, uh, think, uh, they are uh, very special and unique. And hey. and I think, <laughs> you know, you are in your own way, but at the same time, we're not as different as, as we think we are. Does that mean then that packaging on cannabis products don't, doesn't have to be there if there is, an, I guess, a body of products that are coming with it? For example, if you do have the fancy satchels, does it even matter that if it's... Packaged in the right way. Right. You'll be like companies will be able to get away with whatever they'll get away with. Even if, uh, say, we uh, take a lesson learned from tobacco and simply uh, do standardized packaging Mm -hmm. uh, so that there's a less variety of the same product being spread out everywhere. Mm that won't stop someone from giving you a free t-shirt or a free bag uh, with the purchase of your standardized cannabis. So uh, there, uh, there's always a way around that. And uh, the appeal to a wonderful, cool lifestyle is mm-hmm. going to be present. Um, mm-hmm. And they look very appealing. Like, <laughs> as I was going through my research and going through all of these products, like mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg's in the game, Willie Nelson's in there, Snoop Dogg, who I never thought would be able to create something so clean, like design-wise, mm-hmm. th- that stuff is gorgeous and it sounds like i'm being sponsored by them but like (laughs) but he's paid someone real well to do it yeah yeah so uh that's sort of the commercialized model that the states uh sort of works on and because they have this uh really strong sense of uh uh their their freedom of speech a lot of it hangs on that which is why i think in their political and social context even having health warning labels seems like an aggressive threat to the freedom of commercialized product and mm-hmm. ideals of capitalism. So that's why, um, say for cigarettes, they only have like the Surgeon General's warning and like mm-hmm. tiny script on the side of the package. Um, so for Canada, this is going to be interesting because the things that have applied to Washington, Colorado, etc all the pseudo legalized states as well mm-hmm. all of those findings may not directly translate into canada because it's still federally prohibited there and here we'll have a a, a permissive policy so mm-hmm. what that'll look like 
who knows. Mm. I guess there's enough uh, differences between the US and Canada to make it look well to create these experiments that will be interesting to look at because I think what most of the provinces the the age limit is 19 Mm -hmm. whereas most of the states that have um 21 yeah it's 21 so then there's that mark because what the federal government making a the balanced decision on the age for not having it too old so that the younger generation will go to the illegal market anyway but making it young enough to have I just said young enough Making it young enough that the younger market will be... Will avoid that contact with the yeah, illicit market. Yeah. But old enough to make it look, yeah. you know, to protect the youth. Because what the research that shows that the developing brain goes on to, what, 25? Sure, so, sure. For, yeah, so, you know, that brings up a lot of questions about, like, how you regulate the substance. Do you go with the age of majority where you're able to, like, give your life for your country and are able to sign up to go to war? Um, do you go for a sort of a more physiological approach where if you're a male, you might need to wait a little longer than, like, if you're a female? Mm-hmm. Um And what are those implications when you talk about driving laws? Uh, Should the same limits be uh, sort of imposed on both men and women, knowing that physiologically women carry more fat than men, and thus the presence of any kind of cannabinoid will probably linger a little longer in in women than men? What does that mean? And how do you harmonize it uh, federally as well? So I think the federal government kind of like... Uh, you know, they did their task force documents. Health Canada has another consultation document out there right now trying to figure out um, what Canadians want and what they would, uh, like in an ideal situation, how this would be rolled out. But ultimately, it'll be up to the provinces to decide what that looks like in the local context. And we're already seeing sort of pushback from industry with, uh, there's situations where there's illicit dispensaries in all Canadian, uh, mm. major Canadian cities. Um, what do you do with them? Are you shutting them all down? If <laughs> if the substance is going to be legal in July, why am I getting arrested for holding like a gram? There's all kinds of things that are currently up in the air. Could you explain more about what dispensaries are? Uh, so dispensaries are, were intended as sort of arms of the licensed producers to provide the actual product to medical cannabis uh, patients or that use those therapies. Uh, but, you know, people got hawkish and they set up their own expecting uh, that with legalization, public safety wouldn't catch up to them and they could just uh, continue selling and just be present in the market, establish a brand um, and continue into the legalized uh, sort of context. Uh, there was even a case out from BC where they were selling advent calendars um, with different cannabis products uh, in the same way that you would see an advent calendar filled with chocolate. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the last I heard, that hadn't been cracked down upon. But it's one of those things where the damage is already done, where a brand has gotten out there. And even if they get shut down, they open with a name variant as soon as uh, July 18th happens um and they have a leg up on the rest of the market yeah okay if some provinces 
are have chosen to do a government run stores mm -hmm. similar to the alcohol market here where government stores called the LCBO um uh, with the LCBO which is uh, the government run alcohol stores does that mean that those dispensaries or companies that have come out with a brand yeah. in the provinces that are now only doing government run stores they can't be there at all I mean, you can have a storefront. Mm -hmm. You just wouldn't be able to sell sell any cannabis product, right? Uh, so I don't know what they would do, mm -hmm. but it's sort of the pickle they got themselves into yeah. uh, by sort of jumping the gun on that. Mm -hmm. um, and it paid off, I think, for some in some uh, provinces. Mm -hmm. I think the jurisdictions are escaping me, but I think is it's New Brunswick Alberta. and uh, is it Alberta or Manitoba? Alberta and Manitoba. One of them Manitoba, went for think, yeah. sort of uh, private commercialization. Um, and for the stores that are set up there, they're they're good and ready to go. But yeah. say in Ontario, um, that's not the case. And there's other issues associated with that. Even if you're um, uh, sort of a government good, like a public good, uh, that I wouldn't call the LCB a public good, is a government-run a storefront looking to make profit, or is it simply trying to sell a substance at cost to reduce the illicit market? Like, what it would, what is the end goal here for mm. each of the provincial governments, and how are they rationalizing that? Absolutely, because you need enough stores, and that was one of the, I guess, the discussions in the media or government, is the fact that you need enough of a legal market to deter people away from using an illicit market. That's right. But in an ideal world, the black market would just diminish within the day. Yeah. But it's it's not going to happen like that because yeah. we can't click our fingers and pop loads of stores up and then everyone go, oh, yeah, yeah, this store is amazing. You've yeah. already, you know, I am, I'm assuming you've already built connections with your dealer yeah. or you're 17 yeah. or 18. Yeah. So you still can't walk into those stores yeah. and buy a product. So, you know, in realistic terms, the black market is still going to exist. So it's always finding this balance that I feel sorry for the Canadian government that they're probably always going to get some scrutiny on each end. A little bit, a little bit. Mm. Even now, as they're sort of like planning the logistics of that, where are these uh, cannabis LCBO-like storefronts going to be? Are they going to be able to like cover the populations that are relevant? Are they only going to be in city centers? Mm. What happens to rural communities? I know that there's an option for an online ordering system. But when you have the option of a black market coming to your door or meeting them whenever you want, mm. um, will you make use of that? Maybe if the price is right, I, but I don't know. Because yeah. the convenience factor is <laughs> absolutely just so high. And then what's the potency? That's a yeah. huge problem that uh, the Canadian context had where uh, when it first rolled out, a lot of people were complaining that the cannabis product was too weak right. so they went back to the illicit market mm. and consumed from you know the stash that they had grown accustomed to yeah yeah i guess the benefit of having the knowledge of potency is the fact that you know what you're taking yeah. instead of just taking your dealer's word for it that yeah. what you're having is x percentage of thc which if you'd like to know more of thc please refer to our other podcast called <laughs> cannabis yeah, so if you the, the benefit is is that you know what's actually in it. If you are a really rec, you know few and far between recreational user, and your ideal cannabis is low potency or even hash, 
then it's the benefit of going on the online market because you can literally pick and choose what what you exactly want instead of you know saying oh does your dealer do this or does your dealer do that no he doesn't do that then you know you're and i think it it, it speaks also to a greater ethical question that i think people need to think about like how drugs make it uh into canada or how they're produced Mm. and what other kinds of activities um are required for that which include things like human trafficking um so you have a lot of like uh forced sex work and forced human slavery for (laughs) the joint that you're enjoying Mm. which again the substance itself isn't uh the central concern there but it's how it got to you Mm. um and what's in it like the pesticides that are in there or the other things that traveled with it um are you gonna smoke something that was up someone's butt like i don't know yeah 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 exactly and is i think that was what was wasn't it a unanticipated result in the fact of the environmental damage that the pesticides are doing now that all the farms are increased so much in the states that have legalized the weed and then oh dear now it's all going to the water supply and damaging wildlife or or you know other issues that come with you know pesticides that aren't managed or with no rules on it so there's just so many other things (laughs) you have to think about it's one of those like very it's less stigmatized than a lot of other drugs but it hasn't been studied in the same way that other substances have in terms of if you go back to like an academic approach of looking at this, the life course approach of how people use substance, when they use substance, what context they use substances, um, uh, like we're seeing an increase right now in older adults finally reporting that they do use substances, um, mainly cannabis. And for there's so much cultural uh, influence on like their reasoning for why they do it like old russians apparently um don't understand why young people would want to consume cannabis because it slows you down so for them it's like a nice just like winding down activity like having a glass of wine but it i think it seems so severe to them to have someone who's like young and vital and full of life want to uh, slow down that much And in other, there was a photographer, his name is escaping me. He went around uh, like Cote d'Ivoire, Asia, Russia, and other places, just seeing um, the way that they perceive different kinds of substance abuse. And there was this really tragic story of this young pregnant woman who was thrown out of her house because they found out she had had a puff of uh, of a joint. Right. Um, and now she was homeless and... Uh, destitute because uh, she participated in substance use that in in that culture is completely unacceptable Hmm. in my own culture as uh, originally a Mexican national you know there's no distinction between cannabis cocaine and heroin you know we're just talking about the same terrible thing right Um, so I think I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, it's like yeah. a more nuanced, nuanced perspective of the substance. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, so... This may be blue sky thinking, but what would you think would be the best packaging for Canada to introduce? Uh, standardized packaging. Standardized. I right. think uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we know. I, I, we know that certain industries, like the tobacco industry, was an accident of history. We don't need to repeat the same accident twice. Uh, we've learned a lot uh, about how to regulate tobacco um, and we know all the tricks that the tobacco industry um, has up their sleeves mostly because they haven't been too shy in sort of sharing what they uh, like how they think um, there's enough industry documents out there um, you know discussing how to recruit and new initiates um, mm. into the into the market so if we're going to be well As we legalize the non-medical use of cannabis, I think um, given the lack of uh, evidence that we have about the substance itself at a population level, I think we should be as conservative as possible. Like, sure, if you want to use it as a consenting adult, go ahead and use it. But I think part of that consent also entails you knowing all of the potential consequences um, that its use may have, um, and also be informed about uh, the benefits, if any, as they become more apparent, that uh, its use may have. Because for some people, uh, you know, it is a useful therapy uh, for seizures, for, you know, increasing appetite. For certain conditions, um, we have a little more evidence established to support those things but i think the consent piece is huge and if you choose to do it do it just be informed and aware as to how you're going to do it especially if you're deciding to do it for the first time yeah um i think there should be uh <laughs> education out there um, for you to access in order to And not to promote a good experience, but just so you don't have a bad experience. Mm. 
And uh, with, I guess, with the standardized packaging as well, it's, I mean, I, I wasn't alive through all of it, but knowing the struggle of having to battle the tobacco industry at every stage to, you know, make it less appealing to the public and getting plain packaging, standardized packaging and reducing advertising here, there and everywhere. Yeah. It just makes more sense to start at that ideal that we've tried to so hard to get yeah. to that it would just save so much money than yeah. trying to pull it back rather than just start with it so strict and then maybe loosen it up if we wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, uh, industry is always going to have creative ways of mm -hmm. going around that. Um, right now in Australia, after the implementation of, I think what we should call standardized packaging, plain is a little problematic because right. as you see sort of like the minimalist um, looks packaging, <laughs> it looks yeah. pretty plain, but it also looks pretty beautiful. Right. Whereas standardized, you have restrictions on like, uh, the text, the variance, the size, the color, all of yeah. the things that sort of might inform you about uh, uh, the potential of a particular substance. Um, yeah. I was just slipped in by alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I used to do it too. And then I, I you know, as you're, <laughs> as you get deeper in these discussions, uh, yeah. people stop you and make you feel bad about using the word mm. plain packaging. So for you, dear listener, <laughs> it's standardized. <laughs> as mortified as I was for many, many meetings. Speaking of terminology, is there a reason why you use non-medical instead of recreational? Yes, because uh, medical and non-medical cannabis use are two very broad ways of using cannabis. Medical mm -hmm. is self-explanatory. Non-medical, you may be using it recreationally, but there are cultures in this world that use the substance in spiritual ways. Uh, or in other ways that it would be, I think, insulting to diminish to a recreational activity. So it encompasses, I think, that whole broad range of ways of using it mm. um, in a, I think, more constructive way than simply referring to it as recreation. What's going to be funny is like this new cannabis industry um, that will be just as vicious, maybe. Or yeah. Who knows? Maybe not. Yeah. I think as long as people stay open and flexible, um, and I mean, obviously, I would be biased to like a population health perspective mm -hmm. and that consent piece that I can't stop emphasizing. Like, mm. like listen, it's, it's legal. Uh, people have been criminalized over this for way too long. I agree the social costs or whatever probably outweigh the cost to human health. Um, but just, you know, as long as you're making an informed decision about yourself and your body, like live your best life. Yeah. But I wanted to ask, being Canadian, do you think from your, from your viewpoint, do you think that Canada, the Canadian government are doing a good job with this? I think they're doing as good a job as they can, given the current state of evidence. Mm. And I think they're being very thorough. Um, perhaps, uh, I wouldn't say actually even that they're leaning uh, too conservatively mm. on this. Just if we're comparing it to the states, like I said before, we're actually having a conversation about a potential benefit that the substance may have uh, for certain people or conditions or whatever that isn't happening in the states where in the states um everything is so controlled and restricted that i think they make a good case for whatever 
substance variant they're studying, and I'm glad that that is happening. Uh, but I think Canada's doing a pretty good job at including more voices in the conversation. Yeah, good. I'm glad. It's good to know that a Canadian also feels the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, got, I have to give them credit where mm. credit's due. We don't have a very basic uh, answers to issues like what is a dose of cannabis? What is problematic use? How do you define it and operationalize it? There's tools out there, but there's no uh, real consensus currently in the academic community. And that's also problematic. Yeah. So when you have sort of shifting ground, lack of solid evidence, and you're moving ahead, I, I think I think the Canadian example is a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, it probably won't be perfect, uh, but hopefully, again, there's that flexibility to improve and have more participation to to change it. Okay, so I think we've covered everything under the sun with cannabis legalization in Canada. What we've spoken about is standardized packaging that potentially may be used in Canada, how it reflects and how it compares to the US uh, system at the moment with some states that have legalized cannabis and what it's going to look like in the future and so on and so forth. So thank you, Caesar, for doing this interview and thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.